You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. All right, folks, welcome back to The Handmade Podcast. This is episode three. I'm here with Derek from Malden, Paul Pinto, and I am Chris Zepp from Make Everything. We're back with another uh, hard-hitting episode talking about what we have going on in the shop. And we'll start it right off. Let's talk a little bit about what we've been working on for the past week. Derek, what do you got? Um, I haven't been working on too much. I've been um, trying to just get things settled in the shop. I had everything disrupted when I moved the CNC in. So I'm kind of slowly just redoing things. So I'm making some small things for like storage and to put stuff away and nothing really exciting. I had um, a, a neat job. Well, the job's not neat. It's just a sign. But the way I kind of acquired it, um, I'll tell you a little bit about it later. But um, I have that that I'm just starting to work on. But I don't have um, too much, just some storage stuff and nothing too exciting. Well, even just getting that machine into your shop, I feel like was shown on your Instagram, but maybe a little hard for people to fully conceive. How big is your basement? Not big at all. Not big enough for a four by eight CNC, which actually is a lot bigger than four by eight because you have to fit a four by eight sheet of plywood on it. So it's bigger than that. But um, yeah, it was um, it was tough and it was um, hard because it's a, an old basement. So an old house. So the basement has supports everywhere. So um, getting the machine itself in wasn't bad. It came apart um, pretty much down to the rails, but the frame that it sat on was stale and I couldn't squeeze that through the door. I could get it through the door, but I couldn't get it past my table saw and my bench and all that stuff. So I had to cut the thing in half and then reweld it once it was in the shop. So it wasn't too bad, but um, it was a lot more work than I thought. And, um, you know, it's a, the basement, it's, uh, it's funny. I'm talking to a couple of guys that are local to me. They're moving into basement shops and um you know they're asking me everything about the dust and the noise and the you know the room and all that stuff and it's kind of a big area it's 40 feet by 20 in like the main area then i have another small area off to the side but it's more the columns everywhere i have old cedar posts everywhere in the basement so it's like working around those that's the biggest issue did you lose any machinery did you have to take out any machinery to get the four by eight in there? Like, did you lose access to any of your machines? 
Um, yeah or no, I'm going to take over. So I rented a garage next door for storage. I'm putting some stuff in there. And then where that stuff was, I'm kind of taking that over. That was my old tenant's storage space, but we don't have a tenant, so they don't need the storage. So I'm going to take that and, um, I'm going to put a couple machines over there, like more like metalworking type stuff. I'm trying to do it the heaviest stuff by the door and it gets lighter as it gets to the front of the house because it's just a pain in the ass getting stuff through, but it's nothing in comparison. Paul Jackman, if you watch his first videos he ever made, he looks like he's about eight feet tall in his basement. It's ridiculous. <laughs> if you're five foot tall, you couldn't stand up in the basement and it's just, um, it's just, it was brutal. I've been there, you know, that's where Graz lives and um, it's just a nightmare. I mean, the guy has to have back trouble because it's just he's just, you know, hunched over the, every every shot. You know, it's just brutal. But uh, it was funny. You know, he had stuff set up. Graz had showed me so he could stand up in certain areas like to use the table saw and stuff like that because it was just that, you know, that low. But it just shows you, you know, if you want to make something and you have a little space, you know, you can make it, you know, utilize it so you can use it, you know. You've got pretty good height ceilings in that basement too. You're you're pretty fortunate that that works out so well for you and under a thousand square feet. Yeah, yeah. The the ceiling's great. Um, in a couple areas, it's a little bit tough because the first floor they have steam heat, so the pipes you know are pitched down to let the water you know condense and go back into the boiler. But it's um you know that's just on one side that I really don't use. But yeah, for the most part, I have plenty of headroom. I actually have more than you know sufficient, but. I hang a lot of the wood from the ceiling and the steel, so it brings it down about another foot. But, yeah, it, it's, it, it works out. It's good. I like it. I like having it right here so I don't have to go somewhere. So even if I had the option to get a shop, even if it was someplace close, I like having it right in the basement. Yeah, that's why I want nice you to build a shop. Right there. I want you to build a shop in your backyard for your metalworking stuff. I sound like a broken record every time I talk to Derek. <laughs> I'm like, when am I going to come up and help you build a shop in your backyard so you can put metalworking stuff outside and do the woodworking in the basement? Uh, well, that will happen the day that you and I just show up, Paul, yeah, with, with a with shop. Our, yeah, with <laughs> and he'll be out on the top work. of our truck or in your van. Well, that's it's, right. It's funny because I um, was actually thinking about taking part of my deck down and putting a like a shed there. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be big enough to make like a shop, but I, I would love to do that. You know, I'd love to do a lot of things. I'd like to do a little chicken coop back there, Paul. Oh, you know, so you can come up and visit your chickens. So you can visit your chickens and uh, come up here. But um, yeah, I mean, someday, like right now, it's kind of. Um, I'm just trying to get through today and, um, you know, down, down the road. I mean, I want to wait just because the next couple of years, my youngest will be graduating from high school and, you know, maybe I could leave this, this place. I don't know how I'd get everything out of here, but, um, you know, 25 years worth of crap, but it's, mm -hmm. um, but you know, that, that's kind of like my dream. So I feel like if I do the shed, it's kind of like giving in. And um, not being able to, you know, move on somewhere else. So we'll see what happens. You'll end up doing the shed, and then you'll move six months later. And if you don't the do the shed, works. you'll stay for ten more years. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. You know? I mean, I, you know, if you can make it work in the space that you're in, then it's, you know, yeah, it's getting you're good. It's, it's getting tough. It's it's hard, you know, moving sheets of plywood around is tough, and you know, it it isn't easy. But it's, um, you know, like I said, I like having it here. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. Paul, what do you got going on? 
Um, nothing too much. Kind of been a, another slow week. Um, I've just been, you know, actually I haven't really done much at all. Um, but I've been designing some things on Google SketchUp. I mentioned that railing job, um, that interior railing job, the other episode. Um, and I've been doing a preliminary kind of design for that. I don't have all the dimensions cause there's really some crazy, um, different curves and stuff that I'd have to go out and make templates for and find the radiuses of all these different curves. So I just kind of, um, you know, designed it the way I saw it and used some rough measurements. And I'm just going to send that to the guy, um, and see if he likes it. Um, basically what he wants to do is do these curved railings out of half inch by I think two inch flat bar. Um, and he wants horizontal pickets and it's, you know, that same size all the way up. So you have 42 inches and then you have every four inches, a piece of half inch by two inch flat bar. It's like some serious stuff and every single piece is curved. So, and it's not just one curve, it curves one direction and then in the middle, it curves the other direction. So it's like a double radius that I have to do. It's crazy, but my plan is to have it all, you know, CNC plasma cut out. Um, so everything's perfect. And then also below the railings, he wants, um, kind of like a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. He wants, maybe a five inch by quarter inch piece of plate along the ground, also following that same curve um, to match the railings. And that's just for the railings that are going to be horizontal on, you know, the, the first and second floor of his house. Then he wants curved railings to go up his staircase to match the staircase, which is also like a crazy curved design. So it's really challenging. Um, and that's like, you got to roll that like the hard way, but you're saying you're going to just have it cut out of, solid material and then yeah well the the thing is the material he wants is so thick i don't even know i was looking at benders the act um the other day actually and even if you roll it the hard way meaning you know the hard way i guess you could say yeah um, vertical vertical yeah um it some of these rollers i don't even think could do that capacity so i think if i got a roller even if i spent like eight grand on a roller i don't even know if that one could do it so i'd have to convince convince him to use slightly smaller material, or I could just plasma cut everything. It might cost a little bit more um, to have it plasma cut out. Um, Hmm. But, you know, it's going to be perfect, and every single piece is going to be the same. It's two by half, you said? It's two by half. And then the bottom piece also has to be curved, which is going to be like five by um, quarter. And then he also wants another piece to go attached to that going along the wall of the staircase going down into the basement so there's it's very it's very complicated it's almost like a curved think about it if you made like a an i-beam but you cut one of the flanges off so it was kind of like a t Mm -hmm. and then you curved that whole piece to match the curvature of this you know opening he cut for the stairway it's crazy it's really cool, but it's going to be, you know, very difficult to make things a lot more expensive for the guy, especially doing the horizontal pickets too. Cause not only, you know, does the top rail have to be curved, every single picket has got to be curved the same. Cause if it was vertical, I would just be using straight pickets and just a curved top and bottom rail. So it's very complicated, but it's going to look great. You know, if this is what, you know, he wants to do. The problem is that you got to do all this engineering work and you haven't even had a chance to start the job yet. Are you in the bidding phase on this or well, you're... we, we got a deposit actually to, uh, okay. to d- do a preliminary design. Um, so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. So if he, you know, wants to go forward with it, we'll continue with the job. And if not, then, 
it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, but that's good. That makes it easier when you get the deposit. Yeah, yeah. This guy's this guy's pretty cool. I like this guy. He's also actually he's got um, you know that Russian guy who makes those sculptures of like the dogs and everything. He TIG welds those sculptures. He's like Dirt Customs. You know that guy? No. His no. Instagram is Dirt Customs. He's pretty well known. And he, and I pulled in, and this guy's got all these things. I'm like, oh my god, I know what those are. You got to check them out. They're crazy. He makes these um, like geometric sculptures of like pit bulls and like you know all sorts of different dogs and animals are they, like, and bears. Weird angles? Are they yeah, angular? yeah, yeah. I, I've seen those. You've probably seen them. You've probably yeah, seen them before. But it was pretty cool about. to you know see them in person. Yeah. Um, so nice. That's awesome. Nice. I had a pretty quiet week last week as well. I finished my guillotine tool, which was fun. And I did a lot of prep work on the ramp build. And actually, I got a question about the ramp build and, you know, thinking that, that that's sort of the next project that I'm doing. And similar, Paul, to what you were talking about with, you know, all the planning that you're going into, me and Matt, who I'm doing the, the, the van ramp with. And for those, I guess, that maybe haven't listened to any of the other episodes, I'm in the middle of designing a uh, BMX ramp that, attaches to the top of an Econoline van that can fold off the van and, you know, be easily kind of deployed so that you can take it out and use it in like a parking lot. Um, one of the people, somebody asked, uh, actually on the iTunes podcast comments, why not build the whole thing out of aluminum? Cause we've been dealing with it in steel and we've been looking at it in steel just because it's, it's just so much more cost effective and it's just so much more so much easier for us to do, right? Like we could do it in aluminum, but it, you know, and Paul and Derek can testify to this. It just adds such a level of complexity to have to weld all that aluminum. Mm -hmm. And also too, I just feel like whenever I see aluminum fail, it's always right at the welds because aluminum is pretty brittle to begin with. And I, I just look at something like this that's going to go under so much stress and strain and also be bouncing around on the car every time he goes anywhere. Mm -hmm. I just feel like if we do it in aluminum, we're just asking to have, you know, a million and one repairs on it. So what we did this week, though, was we looked at the overall profile of it. And the original plan was to roll the ramp out of one by three by eighth uh, rectangle tubing on the hard side. So, um, you know, we were going to roll it using the tubing roller that I have. And after thinking about it, we're going to change. Everything is going to be made out of two by two by 16 gauge uh, box tube. So we're going to get rid of the eighth wall tubing and we're just going to add in some tubing uh, that's two by two. And the reason is because the one by three by eighth weighs almost three and a half pounds a foot. Mm -hmm. but that's the, heavy. Yeah. yeah, it's heavy. And the two by two by 16 gauge weighs only a pound and a quarter a foot. Hmm. Wow. That's a lot and better. And if you've ever dealt with two by two by 16 gauge, like it's pretty strong. Yeah. Um, and so what we're thinking is, you know, we got to take the, the way that we were figuring it out was the, the ramp on the roof was going to weigh like 1200 pounds and it was just too heavy. Like, you know, it was like crazy. Each panel weighed 250 pounds. So then all I'm thinking like, okay, we can build it. And then I'm thinking this kid's going to take a turn and all of a sudden he's going to have 1200 pounds on the roof. Oh, just yeah. tip this freaking van right over onto its side. So we, uh, you know, we've been trying to reduce it so that each of the, it's five sections, each of the five sections we're trying to get to weigh like 150 pounds each. So 
Wow. We're getting close. It's been just so much planning, though. It's really been like uh, it's been exhausting, and we haven't done a damn thing yet. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we get we hopefully we get something started this week because it's going to probably take us a day. We're going to take the van for a day and build a roll cage inside, um, which essentially is just for the posts for the top thing to sit on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been basically the week. Nothing, uh, nothing new except my guillotine tool, which I is mean, fun. Oh, you need to make one of those. I'm, I need to make one, or I'll just buy one from from Cliff because <laughs> his is so nice and it's already done. Maybe I'll make one. Um, but even if you made that thing out of aluminum, it seems like a lot of your weight's coming from that skate. What was it called? Skate light or something? Skate light. Yeah. So yeah. even if I mean, it would be in a perfect world, you know, better because it's you know aluminum is resistant to corrosion and it's lighter mm-hmm. and everything, but it's probably going to double the price. You know, for this kid, if you tried to make at it least. out of aluminum, at least double, maybe three, and I got maybe three times so much more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, so, so it's, you know, probably you could do it out of aluminum. You'd have to beef up the tube a lot. Um, but it would just cost so much more. And then you're going to put this heavy, you know, ramp material on top of it anyway. It's not even going to be worth it. So, but were you guys going to like powder coat this thing? What's the plan for the, uh, the coating um, or we weren't going to powder coat it. We're really just going to like, we're going to paint it with that, you know, the same thing you'd put on like structural steel. Like uh, that, you're going to shop prime the, it and then yeah, we're going to shop prime it and paint it black. Probably just rust oleum, the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Um, because you know, like the thing about it is that we we, we talked about getting a powder coated. It's going to cost so much money to get powder coated. And then like, I am expecting to maintain this thing. Like yeah. we, me and Matt, I've already kind of looked at it as like, you know, we're going to have to, you know, kind of keep an eye on it. Probably every couple of times that they take it out to use it, we're going to want to see it. Cause like I can almost guarantee you that some part of it is going to crack. Mm-hmm. Um, the weld's going to break. And it's like, I'd much rather have like a serviceable finish. Yeah. That, like, let's say we have to go back and weld in like 10 gussets. Then mm-hmm. like, you no, know, now we have this beautifully powder coated thing and I just had to grind and weld in gussets and then kind of like, you know, half ass spray, yeah, back over it. And I just feel like it would be, I'd much rather have it all serviceable. Plus, you know, I, I know like there's, there's money involved in this project and there's definitely money to be spent, but I'd much rather spend the money on, uh, I'd much rather spend the money on material than have to try to budget in like a $2,000 powder coat job. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's going to get scraped up anyways. It's going to get, you know, things are going to happen to it. So it's better to have a surface that you could go back and repair and something that's powder coated that's just like it's done you'd have to take yeah. the whole thing apart and then get it re-blasted and powder coated again if you wanted to you know if it started to rust because the powder coating got scraped so that does mm-hmm. i agree that that definitely makes sense i think mm-hmm. yeah what we wound up doing too is we 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 spent a lot of time talking about it and we talked about um the surface that would be underneath the skate light and uh we had thought about going to like expanded metal but then you know there's going to be so much surface tension on that material. So we're essentially going to like uh, build the ramp, right. And then wrap it with the sheet metal and then put the skate light right on top. I think we're actually going to reduce the thickness of the sheet metal down to like 20 gauge mm-hmm. because the only thing the sheet metal is really doing is acting as a connector between the webs of the ramp. So mm-hmm. like it doesn't, it's, it's never going to break. Like no one's ever going through it. Yeah. Even if it's 20 gauge sheet metal, like you're never going to like your tire is never going to, be able to puncture through it it might bend it 
So what we're thinking is, you know, just use thinner material, but just weld the snot out of it so that it's so stiff. It's going to be like, uh, it'll be like a parachute, you know, like a drum. Um, Exactly. Like a drum. So the only thing, what we're going to do this week is I have some, uh, 18 gauge sheet metal at the shop. I'm going to build a frame out of two by two that, um, represents one of the, one of the web spaces, which is like 18 by, um, it's like 18 by 36 is one of the open areas of the ramp. So I'm going to build that out of two by two box. And then I'm going to put the 18 gauge sheet metal over it and weld it as though I'm building it, you know, for the ramp and just see how much bounce I get out of it. See how strong it feels, you know, um, see if there's any flex. And then if that kind of, you know, little test looks good, we're going to go ahead and, and start building it, you know, cause I can draw it a hundred ways, but if it winds up being too heavy, it's just going to be too dangerous for this, for you to drive around with. That's, mm. that's the concern. Yeah, I know we can build it strong enough, but I, I, my thought is if I can keep it, if I can get it to like six to 700 pounds, then I'd feel good putting it on the roof, you know, cause that's not that bad. Six or 700 pounds is not that bad to have up on a roof. So you drive what around is- with a couple of guys on your roof. Yeah. Would it make sense to almost have, well, I don't know, this might not work, but if you had the the frame of it all fold up, but then make it so the skate light could be, you know, popped in and out and thrown in a stack in the trunk, and then we it would make things a lot that. lighter, that might be just more complicated. That we might- thought about originally doing the sidewalls of the ramp out of steel, and then we were going to make an insert for going in between the sidewalls out of aluminum that uh-huh. was going to like be able to go in with pins. Yeah. But at that point, it's like, at that point I might as well just build the kid a trailer and have yeah, the whole thing on the right, trailer. You're right. You know, cause it's a 15 passenger van, but I'm taking up his roof space. So he doesn't, you know, he only wants to move seven people inside. But, um, the other thing too is, we're, um, to supplement the, the thinner ramp material, we're going to add more posts. So he's going to have more stuff now that he's got to put inside the van. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's a work in progress. It's one of those things where, like, I wish I could just build it and just figure it out as I go. But I know that if we don't spend this time, similar to that railing, like you could go there with a, a, a roller and the half by two material and just mm. try to figure it out as you go. But you'll use three times the material. And then by the time you're done, you'll know exactly how not to do it. You'll have a yeah. hundred ways that you could have done it better, yeah, you know? Exactly. So, just got to do it right from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Got to do it right. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of of doing jobs like this, like like Paul's project, one of the things we were going to talk about this week is, you know, the businesses that we run. And we, we talked a little bit about this in the first two episodes and how we all kind of do similar things in different ways. But one of the things that's been on my mind a lot recently is um, offering goods versus offering services. So like all three of us, have done both. We've, we've all been in that position. Paul started, you know, essentially started his business building hammers and and knives and axes. Um, and Derek and I started more on the services side where we were both, you know, carpenters or builders. So, you know, the transition kind of in and out of both of those things is always interesting. And it's definitely something that the three of us are dealing with on kind of a case by case basis, but we'll go a little bit further into it. And, Derek, being someone that's going from, you know, I mean, you're in the service industry in your day job. Now you're trying to work yourself into a more products. What's that been like? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. So a lot of people don't know that um, before I worked for the company I work for, I um, I did carpentry. I started 
my kids could tell you, I started when I was about 13 years old as a way to support myself to play sports and uh, growing up in the city. And I fell in love with it. I, um, when I was about 16, 17 years old, I built a house up in New Hampshire with a guy. And, you know, I was on my way to being a carpenter. And all of a sudden he bailed and he became a school teacher. And I was like stuck doing carpentry work. And, um, you know, I always loved it, but um, it was tough. I couldn't um, really find a place to fit in. So I took a temporary job and 32 years later, I'm still there. But all the while, I um, always dreamed about leaving that job and kind of planned for it because I was always afraid I was going to get laid off. So I had um, my builder's license and I ran a company on the side where I did mostly, you know, I would do anything, but mostly doors, windows, decks, stuff that I could do um, after work, vacations, weekends, um, when people usually relax and I would be working a second job and, uh, and things were good. I um, was always busy and, um, you know, I did, I did good at it, but I just, um, never was too, uh, afraid. I had the security blanket of the steady job with the benefits and the health insurance and just never could bring myself to leave it. And then you get so deep into it, you just have to finish the career up there. But, you know, as I get older, it's, you know, you, it's hard to do that type work. You can't just, you know, do it. You know, it's tough, you know, lugging doors around and windows and, I started to get more into trying to do furniture, but realized quick, it's like being an artist. Unless somebody has a ton of money and wants one of your pieces, you're not going to sell it. So I kind of just started doing, I, like I say on my Instagram, I'll do whatever somebody will pay me to do. You know, if it's a sign, it's that. If it's a birdhouse, it's that. And it's funny, I'm always, um, you know, angling to, you know, not to make a, well, I guess to make a sale, but to, you know, get business anywhere. Because I tell, you know, like my wife and kids, you never know where an opportunity is going to, you know, be sitting. So I, um, you know, for instance, I, <laughs> me and my wife, my family were at a funeral one time and uh, I ended up leaving there getting my wife a job. You know, she, um, half joking with a neighbor turned into a job opportunity for my wife that she's still working at, you know? So it's like, you never know where it's going to come from this. Just this past weekend, I was out buying um, some food at a butcher shop, a local butcher shop. And I happened to mention the place and tag it and somebody had seen them. They reposted it and it just turned into actually a nice job for a, a, a nice sign that I'm in the process of um, just starting I was just talking with the customer, but, um, you know, you just don't know where that next, um, job's going to come from, but I don't need to depend on it as much because I do have my main gig, but I like the relationship with this. It's kind of, um, it's a quick, easy, you know, get in, get out, make a little money and you're happy as far as, um, you know, and, and it's, and it's different, you know, it's different type, um, you know, different type of stuff, you know, when you're doing, you know, doors for somebody or windows, it just like, seems like it's a, a job that just drags on and, um, you, you get know, blind you, to it. It's yeah, like the same door over yeah, and over. Yeah. And you have to hire people. If it's a lot of work, you have to do this, this, I enjoy. I like working alone. Um, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I'm a pain in the ass. I tell people when I work with them, I know I'm difficult to work with because I'm just of who I am. And I go by, you know, I rather do it right myself than have somebody else do it. So 
it, it's hard, but I, I enjoy working alone. So I enjoy being in my basement and just making the things I, I make. And, you know, I've been lucky. It's, you know, I can't, you know, survive off of it at this point, but I'm hoping slowly over the next couple of years as, you know, my youngest kids get older that I could transition into this full time, you know, because it's not going to take a ton of money to, you know, sustain me. And um, as long as I can keep my wife working at that job she got at the funeral, <laughs> you know, um, things will work out fine. But, um, you know, it just, it, it's, you know, it is a little bit of a hustle, but like I said, with the full-time job still, it's not something I have to worry about. Would you rather, so you'd rather be making, you'd rather be making products, making goods than offering the service of, you know, yeah. Like if someone said to you, Hey, you know, I know you can TIG weld. You want to come and TIG weld for me? You'd rather, you'd rather make them, you'd rather make them the thing that they need TIG welded than go yeah. and do it there. Yeah. It's just because it's just kind of like, I mean, I guess both of them, you're working for somebody else, but I just kind of like, kind of, I like to revert back to my shop and just kind of do my own little thing, you know, instead of going out and trying to have to, um, you know, it's, it's almost like performing it's for somebody else, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. I just like to, the, the, the quietness of being in the shop and, uh, you know, doing my own thing and I can't, you know, bring your house into my shop. And I, I just, it, it's just something about being in my shop actually that I, I enjoy. I think a lot of it. And it's funny because I've been out of work for the last couple of weeks and I'm going back and, you know, I, I'm telling my wife how I'm looking forward to getting back. And she's like, you hate work. You can't wait to leave your job. And I'm like, I know I hate it, but I love it. And, you know, I'm just so torn because I do like, um, you know, like my regular job. But I, I would really love to just do nothing but to stay in my shop, make things for people and just survive. And I know a lot of people will. And I hope I get there one day. But, um, you know, I'm I just trying to take those steps I need to take to get there. If there was one thing that people would pay you enough to live off of to make, what would it? Well, what would be the one thing that you would just want to make in your shop all the time? Is there one thing? No, no, that's a tough one because that's what, uh, you know, like I feel it now. Like I was um, talking to somebody and we're, we're talking about woodwork and, and, you know, I mentioned I was thinking of getting, a, you know, I'm trying to get a saw stop and they're like, yeah, I wouldn't waste my money. I don't do much woodwork. And, and I'm thinking, geez, I really don't either anymore, but I really would like to have one. But I really like working with metal. It seems more than wood now, but I, I don't think I'd ever give up my wood stuff. So I don't know what I would want to make. I just, I like the different things. You know, I don't know if there's any one thing I'd want to make. That's how I feel. Mm. That's why yeah. I'm not doing what I'm, what I used to do yeah. anymore. I can only make so many hammers without yeah, getting so bored of making you- a hammer. Yeah, you you came into this whole thing like I mean everyone met you and knew you as you know you were making hammers and axes and um, and knives and stuff and now I mean shoot I haven't I, I probably helped you make the last hammer it was it was for me yeah probably yeah <laughs> well the, the the thing is I I actually started off before blacksmithing teaching myself how to weld because a lot of the equipment and tools that I had to make for blacksmithing I made myself and you have to make those out of metal. And you got to weld, you know, to, in order to make those tools. So I started the first type of metalworking I ever did was actually welding before blacksmithing. And then blacksmithing, I kind of just did for fun. And then I started making YouTube videos about it. I started getting better. And then that kind of took off. And that's kind of how everyone knew me. But I always had the, you know, fabricating 
background because you know I, I would need to make my own tools like my hydraulic press i made that by myself and you know you have to weld that and and fabricate all that type of stuff so that's um you know kind of what i did um and i started an online business i would sell hammers and axes and i made a couple knives for some people um and i really enjoyed doing that but i get i get bored easily and, you know, after making a hundred hammers and, and it kind of just, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. Um, and I, I like doing different things. I like, you know, one day maybe I have to work on some railings or the next day I'm, you know, installing, you know, structural steel in a house. Or, and then I come back and I have to do something out of stainless the next day. So it's, you know, doing what I'm doing now, I'm always doing something slightly different. It always keeps it interesting. Um, and the other thing is it's like, I can only make so many hammers in a day and it's, and it's hard work. And, you know, what I'm doing now is just a lot easier to make a living and, and kind of expand my business. And with the products that I was making, there's only so far I feel like I can go. And, and I already, and there's already, you know, existing companies. Like if you, if you want to talk about axes, you have like Liam Hoffman who, you know, who's, I'm not going to make a better axe than he can. He's got it down to a science. He makes beautiful axes and he's got like a kind of a mini factory already going. And then you got someone like Brent Bailey, you know, who's the best, you know, hammer maker and, and someone like Jacob Ferrum. So it's like, mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not going to be better than those guys anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So, and I can only make so many hammers in a day. I don't have a big, I didn't have a big setup at the time. And then the metalworking stuff kind of just gradually came in, uh, just gradually came in. I started doing jobs on the side and then it became, you know, more economical to, to do the metalworking stuff. And I enjoy it just as much. Um, so that's kind of how I made the, the transition. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the nice thing about it, I guess, you know, you, it's, it's never going away, right? I no. Mean, if you decided tomorrow you wanted to make a, a, you know, one of those, you know, like you wanted to make a 50 pound sledgehammer, you could do I it. Could. I could. And I, that's the other thing I wanted to keep the blacksmithing kind of more for fun um, and not have to, you know, do it every day and get sick of it because I enjoy it and I want to do it for fun and make, you know, YouTube videos about it and make fun projects. And then the other thing is I might get a job next week where I have to hand forge, you know, a custom railing and they might want the whole railing to be hand forged and riveted together or, or something like that. So, you know, blacksmithing is still, you know, part of what I do. I just might not be making hammers and axes every single day. It might be some different stuff, which is, you know, great for me because I get to, you know, experiment and do different things other than making the same two things over and over again. It's funny because I feel like, you know, if uh, seeing you from the outside, right, like, you know, if someone were to go and look through like your Instagram per se, it would look as though you were a iron worker who happened to do like blacksmithing on the side. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, oh, he he must work for a company that puts up mezzanines and does staircases. And then, you know, he was interested in metal. It's just it's a really you have a very interesting kind of transition from, you know, essentially your blacksmithing experience was just tool making. Yeah. Like you never made any ornamental like railings or anything. No, right? not too much of that type of stuff. It was mostly tools and hammers, axes and knives was the majority of what I made. Um, but, you know, that architectural kind of blacksmithing is something I'd love to get into. It's a whole nother kind of separate field. Um, mm -hmm. So that's it's definitely not going away. It's just I'm expanding to different things. Do you still get requests for uh, for hammers and axes and stuff? 
I do. I mean, every once in a while I'll get emails and stuff, but it's just, it's just doesn't make sense right now when I, you know, it might take me all day to make one hammer for somebody. If I get some random hammer request when I could spend all day, you know, making stainless steel railings that are like $300 or $350 a foot. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't make sense Mm. to make the one hammer. If I batch them out and I really, you know, if I had power hammers and different presses and really focused on that you can make a ton of hammers in a day but yeah. right now if i just get a random you know request to make one specific thing it's just not efficient like enough to make money on it i'm glad i have a paul pinto original yeah th- these those are going to be worth a lot of money yeah. because i don't know how many more <laughs> of those are going to be out in circulation i have a half finished uh paul pinto a hammer that you helped me make with the oh press. that was the first one you made right when we were back at my house uh, that was the first hammer I ever made, like a uh, rounding hammer with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made that hammer together. Yeah, uh, the one at Jimmy's where we like limped through it. Um, which oh actually, my god, that was the funniest. Right. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, we we, we can't make we anything know. every time we're up at Jimmy's. It's, I don't know why he's got all the tools. He's got everything. We cannot get anything done when we're up at his house. I don't know what it is. I can't make anything. It's weird. Yeah, we get three. We have three quarters of of what you need. It's yeah, like you know, yeah. it's like trying to do it with like two fingers on one hand. One of well, here, I was, here's a good question for you and and Derek. I feel like you're in the position right now where you know you're 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 taking the first kind of steps at at your business. So mm-hmm. when someone asks you to make something, I have a feeling that you request you you respond when someone makes a request with like yes, I'll do it. Paul, how do you respond? to the inquiries you get about making hammers like do you say like you know hey i'd love to do it but i'm busy or do you just not answer like if i send you an email what would i get in return um i i probably just tell yeah like the first thing you just said i'd probably just tell them um I'm, I'm not you know making hammers at the moment i might start up again you never know but right now i'm just not doing that i actually kind of feel bad because my website is still up i have everything is sold out but my blacksmithing website's still up so i don't know if i'm gonna leave that up for now or just take it down or maybe just take the page down and, and keep the domain. Um, but I don't know. I haven't gotten a ton of requests, but every once in a while I'll get something. And if it's something crazy enough, like, you know, they want some really custom thing and I think it might make a cool YouTube video as well. I mean, I would definitely do it. It just depends on the situation if it makes sense for me. So Paul, he might say no to the uh, emails. This kid that I'm doing the sign for, I haven't gotten a deposit from him yet, but I'm so involved in it. And I think it's such a cool project. I actually sent him a message and said, if you're not going to get this sign, I'm still making it. And then I'm going to sell it to you for double because I think it's going to be such a cool job. It just, it's very simple. And um, when it's done, I'll post it on my Instagram, obviously. Is this for the car club? Yeah, yeah, it's not for, for the club. It's for a car. It's for an amphibious car, but it's just a oh very plain. Um, it's ba- basically the the vehicle's badge, but it's just such a plain, um, you know, thing. But it, it, it just it's going to look great when it's done. It's going to be chrome, have some chrome on it, so it's going to be really cool. But um, I'm just really excited to do it. So with or without this kid's money. I'm still making it. So then I'll have to find somebody else who has an amphibious car to sell it to, but but it's getting made. So I'm not turning it down. Not like Paul. Well, that's funny. Cause you know, I I have a tendency of doing the same thing too, where like if I'm excited about a project, 
especially too, like people are, people have no concept as to how long things take. So people will, oh, yeah. most of the jobs I get are rush jobs. That's, I usually tell people I, I can't beat anybody on price, but I can usually beat them on time because we'll just do, you know, like there's, I, you know, that's the part of being a small business and being a small shop. Like at five o'clock, like the lights don't turn off and like the machines all shut down and you know, everybody's got to go home. It's, so like I'll get jobs, you know, where people will say, oh, you know, I really want to do this. And, you know, it's it's you know, it's a Monday, but I really need it by like Friday and I'll write them out the whole invoice. And on the invoice, it'll say that like no work will be started prior to getting a deposit. And I usually am done before I've even gotten the deposit or I'm almost done because there's just there's no time. Yeah. You know, if you want to stay competitive, um, especially too with the age of social media, you know, and, and the way that me in particular, like I share everything on social media. So chances are my client found me through social media. They know exactly what I'm doing. They know I've already started their job. Um, but every once in a while, if it's something that I have any sort of, uh, uh, you know, precaution with, like, you know, recently I made those carts and they had ordered, they had ordered five to start. And I was about to order all the material for five. And then at the last minute, he reduced the order to three because they wound up selling two of the car, two of the ovens to another catering company. So it wasn't, it wasn't like they were trying to skimp me on the money. They just didn't need five. And I would have laid out, you know, an extra probably six or $700 for material for five and would have had two extra just sort of sitting around. So, but you know, my, my, transition lately has been, you know, from the services like Derek, where, you know, I was a carpenter and I was working with my hands every day. And then every night I would go from being a carpenter for a general contractor to being like, you know, doing handyman work and building stuff, doing all sorts of different things, you know, in order just to make a little bit of extra money, you know, um, driving myself nuts. And then, you know, eventually realizing that I wanted to make, you know, make sort of goods for people. I went into, you know, making knives and making products like that, trying to make furniture. But, you know, nowadays it's like, I want to do only the most specialized work that I can get. Like, I don't want to make anything that, you know, anyone's really seen before. I want to be like the person and have the shop with the reputation that like you come to me when you need something that you can't figure out who else would make it. So, you know, we've been trying to very much like pigeonhole the jobs that we take so that everything that we get is, is really specialized. And it's been, it's been working out so far. You know, I've been lucky to catch myself in with a couple of art fabricators and those kind of people. And, you know, I'm always impressed with what the clients come up with, which is cool. You know, it's, it's, it's always exciting when you have like a good client that has a great vision for something that's interesting that allows you to challenge yourself. And I feel like we're all pretty lucky that like a lot of the work that we get is for interesting projects from interesting clients. And it, it just helps you like helps your work never be boring. If it's always something new. Well, I'm waiting for that customer that's looking for the round bed with the set of eyeballs. Watching. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if you've gotten that Paul, but I mean, you do get some interesting stuff, Chris, you know? It's- yeah. Yeah. But you know, like it, it, it's, it's tricky because like, no one wants to hear that you don't want to do the normal job for them or that you don't have time, you know, like, um, just, just in the last day, um, you know, someone reached out, they wanted a breakfast nook and, 
you know, it's not that I didn't want to make it for them. Um, if I had nothing else going on, I, I probably, you know, could do it and it wouldn't take me very long. I could make a nice little bit of money on it. But right now, like I, I can't even think about starting a starting a breakfast nook, which I already made a video on. So I, I can't make another video on it. Um, I have five or six other projects in the queue. Like that's, that's eight to 10 weeks away for me. And most people that want something, they don't want to wait eight to 10 weeks for it, you know? So it's, it's hard. And I get so many inquiries through my email that, you know, I would say like 50% of them slip through the cracks and don't even get responded to. But then every once in a while you get the client that really wants to reach out and they, you know, I always tell people like, if you, if you really want to get in touch with me, you figure it out. And I know that because randomly my phone rings and it's someone that found my number online, um, which isn't that easy to find, uh, and called me and said, you know, Hey, I really want to get this thing that I saw on YouTube built. Um, and then most of them, when I tell them how much it costs, they have, they have no real concept of how much things cost and they, they're not interested anymore, but that's like the harsh reality, you know, like, um, if you want to get something that's made by hand, you got to be willing to pay. And if you, if you're willing to pay, then you don't worry about it, you know, but chances are, if you're watching a video of someone DIYing something, you don't want to pay that person to do it. <laughs> I don't think people really realize that, you know, a yeah. DIYer is not somebody that comes at like, you know, $15 an hour to build you a, uh, you know, a bookcase. Yeah. Yeah. That, that used to always scare me, like sitting at Home Depot parking lot and just being like, all these people are like building this stuff in people's houses. Like, you know, and it's just, it's just amazing. Like the, you know, the quality of like shit in people's houses is just horrendous because oh, yeah, years ago you had, yeah, you had like craftspeople that, you know, took the time and did things right. Now you get everybody, you know, it's like somebody, you know, you know, paints a, a, a window and then they're a painter, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. stick some tile up and they're a tiler and it's, uh, it's just sad, you know, it's, it's just, it's gone downhill so bad for things like that. And, you know, especially around here, you get a lot of people just, you know, um, you know, so competitive for the pricing that it, it's, it is hard, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I, I was doing a ton of windows and I was really, I felt fair with my prices like replacement I, windows yeah yeah replacement windows and i'd get these people they're like oh i get this guy that can do it for this amount x and i'd be like yeah but your window's I, gonna leak I, I can't even buy the windows for that money yeah, yeah. Like, where are they even getting the window i got like, some I stories on that yeah, type of stuff. yeah like i don't yeah. even understand how that happens but and that's the sad part about it i'm glad i'm not that young that i have to make a career at it you know i just gotta get through the rest of my life you know but uh, it's yeah like, i don't have 40 years ahead of me that i have to do this to make money but it is it's sad how like how far that's that could be a show for another time just how far the, the trades have gone down but um it's bad you know, it's, yeah. it's hard because when people do hear you know people see my stuff guys i work with they're, oh that's awesome can you make me that i give them a price and they're like no way. I says to them, they're a bunch of deadbeats. I say, look at how much you're making an hour and what you do for it. You know what I mean? At least yeah. let me make what you're making, you know? And uh, it is hard. It is hard. People don't realize how much they don't, they don't want to pay though. It's like, yeah, that's no. the problem. If you want quality, you gotta, you gotta pay. You know? yeah. And it's yeah. always worth it in the long, people don't understand. And I'm, yeah. this is something I've learned even at 20 is you yeah. got to do it right the first time. And it's going to be more upfront. You're going to spend more money, but it's going to, 
save you money in the long run. Because when yeah. someone gets, you know, some some random guy, you know, I was driving on the highway and I see an ambulance and I'm like, that ambulance does not look, you know, up to par. I wouldn't want to be in that ambulance. Then I get closer to the ambulance. This guy's got ladders on the ambulance. He must have bought an ambulance and he's doing <laughs> carpentry out of the ambulance. I'm like, if this guy showed up to my house to do carpentry, I, I would run. I mean, like, can you Were imagine you if, you, if you hired a, a guy to do carpentry and he shows up in an ambulance? There's a guy I mean, on my street. I would call the police. Systems. The guy does heating systems on my street out of an ambulance. It's just in, it's insanity. It it's like these are what people drive around with that lettering. No, still he's got day. an ambulance. He's got an ambulance. He's doing carpentry out of it. It's like even even people, you know, even when I was trying to do some little renovations at my shop. And like, I'm just running to Home Depot because it's down the street. Like, yeah. Home Depot, if you're a professional, it sucks. You know, yeah, you, like, don't it, go. you really can't buy no. anything great from, if, no. you, if you're like a DIY person, you want to run in and buy three, three two by fours. It's perfect. But if you're building a house, like, you can't buy stuff from Home, home Depot. You got to go to a lumber yard and you got to get tools from a legit, like, place. It's not, it, it's just weird. Like, any anytime I see all these contractors lined up in Home Depot, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'd want those guys working in my house. I love someone to buy from a lumber yard. Like Chris, you didn't tell Paul about our Home Depot sponsorship deal we just signed. Uh, oh yeah, I just ruined it for you guys. <laughs> now Home Depot's great, but it's not meant for that. Home Depot's not meant for you know. No, I, I know what you're saying. That's it's what meant I for me when yeah. I want to go build my chicken coop, and I'm going to go buy you know yeah. twenty two by fours. It's not meant for someone to build a custom home, you know, a three, two million dollar house out of. No. Like yeah, it's just no. not meant for that. No. It's interesting. Like it, it's. You know, I, I always encourage people to I always encourage people to try to build things themselves, but for themselves, you know, like, yeah, I'm not, I, I make videos to, to teach people that they can build like 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 I said, a breakfast nook, a bookcase, you know, like those mobile hedges that I've made that like people email me about every week. Like I, I want people to build them for themselves, but so many people build something one time and then they're like, Oh, th th I could do this. Yeah. This, this is my job now. It's like, well, you know, you could do it, you know? And, and I think that, um, you know, I think that one of the ways that, you know, people should start their business is, you know, you make something for yourself, right? You make a Derek, like you make a sign, you make it, make it for your house. Then you make one for a friend and you charge them a little bit. You make one for another friend, you know, maybe they pay for material and you, and you build it up slowly. But I think that, um, there are definitely a lot of people that make, make something one time and kind of get three quarters of the way through it. And then next thing you know, they're on like Craigslist advertising that they'll come and do it for you. Now they're experts. You know, now like they're the Dunning crew. Isn't what is it called? The Dunning Kruger effect or something. Oh, I don't know. Where you like, you think you're, you think uh, you just start something. And then like a little while later, you think you're an expert. You think you know everything about it. And you, there's like, it's like a graph. You start, you know, nothing. Then in a little while, you know what you think, you know, everything. And then you realize, you know, you really know nothing. And then, the, and then the little graph goes way back down and then it's a slow climb. Yeah. You actually yeah. know what you're talking about. I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger yes, effect. Yes, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Your yeah. confidence versus your competence. Yeah, is, yeah. Is what it is. Um, so but, like you make one you know, river table, epoxy <laughs> river table, and now you're like a table maker. Yeah. It's like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I, more than one. So often, business. I mean, if there's, any, if there's any industry where that comes into play, it's got to be welding. It's mm -hmm. got to yeah. be where like, 
you know, yeah, you know, I, and I, and, and believe me, I encourage people to get a welder and learn how to weld so they can make money with their welder. I encourage it all day long, but I am very clear to say that just because you welded up your neighbor's wheelbarrow, you are not going out and putting like a cantilevered porch on the side of somebody's house. And I've seen disastrous work, even just like doing work in other buildings. And I'll look at the steel work that other people have done. I'm like, how is this possible? Like that, like these are professionals. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even make sense. It's yeah. like the welds look like, you know, my sister did them and it's yeah, like, it's, it's and she's insane. never, well, she doesn't even know what a welder is. It's like crazy. <laughs> she would have done a better job. Uh, my, uh, going back to the Home Depot thing, my favorite thing to see is I'll see, uh, uh, it's always in the tile aisle. I don't know what, what this is about these like fly by night tilers, mm. but I'll see like, <laughs> like a husband and wife in the tile department with a guy and the husband and wife are dressed in like nice business clothes or whatever. And the guy is a worker, you know, the guy's yeah. clearly a, like a, you know, a tradesman and he's, you know, t- picking out the tile with them and telling them what kind of grout at home Depot. That's unbelievable at, at home Depot. And then I'll see them later and they're putting like the, the guys in like, like a sedan and they're putting it in, uh, putting all the material in the back of like the person's Range Rover. Yeah. Get out and, of here. And the guy goes, yeah, like, I'll see you there tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming tomorrow morning. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what, guys? Like, just hire a company that's going to come with a truck and insurance and all the things that you need. You know, if you want to go, at, if you listen, if you want to go and tile your own bathroom at your own house. Go to Home Depot. You know, that's great. Go to Home Depot and do it yourself. But if you're, but you gotta, you gotta get somebody that's gonna show up, you know, cause you know, who never, you never know. You get some fly by night person. And even if you get a good, notable, reputable contractor, contractors are known to get halfway through and just disappear. So if yeah. you get some random guy, you know, and listen, I, I, I get some guy in an ambulance. That, yeah. I can't say that these guys aren't, aren't great. You know, I'm sure this guy did a wonderful job. Eh, probably not, is, though, right? you, you can't help but be a little bit troubled when at like nine o'clock on a Tuesday, you got some random looking dude just putting tile in the back of a Range Rover to maybe come and do the job the next day. That's a new one. That, that must be a Long sure. Island thing because I've never seen that before. Oh, that, oh, that, oh, that's 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 crazy. Come to, to Solville Home Depot. They stand outside. You bring them right in. They'll do the work. I had a guy, this was about 15, 20 years ago, come to my house. I got direct TV. Well, I got dish service. I don't want to name the company. <laughs> but uh, we'll guys, cut that out. I, uh, I go running downstairs. I open up the door. There's a guy standing there. He's just dressed, you know, casual. I says, yeah, can I help you? He says, yeah, I'm here to install your um, direct TV. I says, oh. I says, do you want to park in the driveway? He goes, yeah, I'm parked right there. He's got a Honda Accord. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, says, my God. Right. I says, how are you going to do that? I think you got to go up on the roof. He says, yeah, I'm all set. So he pulls out one of those folding ladders. Oh, no my God. Oh my God. <laughs> so now – you know, for people who've never seen it, I have an old house, you know, 1900s Victorian style, you know, big steep roof. The guy goes up on the porch roof, right? Flat roof, pulls the ladder up, oh. puts it up on the gutter, climbs up to the roof, right? So he's up there for a couple hours, whatever. It's a summer day. <laughs> I hear pounding on my roof, on my sky. Oh, I know what he happened. Was stuck. Dude, he's stuck. 
I had to call the fire department to get the guy <laughs> off the roof, right? I called DirecTV. I said, you tell this guy, don't come back to my house. You want to talk about the white glove service. They sent out, the, just like the commercial, the beautiful DirecTV truck comes out with two guys in uniforms. Oh they took God. care of it. But I says, are you serious? This guy, a folding ladder, he was installing directly. How do you even fit it in this on the car? Yeah, I, I know. Because he pulled out of the trunk. I says, you got to be shitting me, man. That's funny. Yeah. You know, I like that, though. That's great. It's funny because, you know, like, if if you had, you know, if you had, like, uh, an easier application for that and you didn't know what you were looking at, you would have just, you know, you wouldn't have said a thing. The guy would have yeah. came. He would have hopped up on the roof. He would have put yeah. the you know, the dish up there and he would have left. And it's like, you know, uh, and going back to the guy, you know, doing the tile out of the, somebody else's Range Rover. I had a, I, the opposite experience where when I was doing kind of handyman work, I had the sprinter and I pulled up to a guy's house. And as soon as I pull up, the guy comes out and he was a car guy and he looks at, he goes, Oh man, he goes, that's a Mercedes. I go, yeah. And he's like looking around it and he's looking at the sprinter. This is like, 2014-ish too. So sprinters were a little less uh, a little less common as they are now. He goes, man, you must charge a fortune if you're driving around a car like that. And I looked right at his house and I go, man, this is a really nice house. You must make a lot of money. I go, you can probably afford it. And, yeah. you know, we were kind of busting on each other and he gave me yeah. a big smile and we shook hands and I did a ton of work for him yeah, and yeah. we had a great relationship. He was a great client, but like, yeah. you know, you look at it the other way, right? Like, should I have showed up in a Honda Accord, you know, or an ambulance or an ambulance school bus, maybe pulled out like, you know, like with my seats folded down and my molding, the best is the molding sticking from the trunk out the passenger window. Yeah. 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 Like on the angle, you know, (laughs) so, so, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, six, one way, half dozen, the other, you're, you're, you're always in a position where like, you know, Paul, if you show up, to a, a small steel job in like a beautiful big steel truck person's going to be like, Oh man, this guy's going to be out of my price range, but you can't yeah. put up a mezzanine in a, uh, yeah. you know, in, in anything smaller. So it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky world. Goods versus services. It's, well, it's hard. one time at the home Depot, you always see great stuff at the home Depot. I saw a school bus with the back chopped off, like a short school bus with the back chopped off of it and a ramp welded to it and a bunch of lawnmowers in the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the greatest <laughs> thing. Oh, yeah. True, true story. I was working in a the neighborhood. There was a kid on a bicycle mm-hmm. with a trailer, right? With two lawnmowers, right? Mm-hmm. I'd see this kid every day, right? I finally stopped him. I said, you know something? I said, I'd love to get your number and talk to you in 10 years because you're going somewhere. Because I said, he's like, what do you mean? I says, for a young kid to have a bicycle towing a trailer. That's with pretty cool. on. I says, that's somebody who's dedicated. That's the kid I want pulling up to my house, you know? Yeah. It's willing to bust his ass. You know? That so, I like. Yeah. yeah school yeah. bus? Yeah. 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 School bus. Looks like it yeah. was like caught on fire. And yeah. it's all about scale, right? Because I would guarantee you that like, that, you know, there, there are two trains of thought. Like that kid probably had a nice route. People that knew him, you know, he did his work, but he yeah. probably wasn't putting ads up in like, you know. Yeah in the newspaper that he's like a full-fledged landscaper. Yeah, you know he's a kid with a bike. And when you go on, you know, some website, oh, like landscaper, I don't know what the name is, come up with a name, and then you think it's like a legit website, and then Mm -hmm. someone pulls up in a school bus that looks like a corn on fire with a (laughs) a push lawnmower and like a weed whacker in the back, and three guys, you know, jump out. I'd be scared. But you know what you're getting when you see a kid on the street, you know, hustling with a bike, and you know, you know, you know what you're expecting. Yeah. I don't know. Got, I don't know. You got to fake, fake it till you make it, I guess, right? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. That's how Home Depot started, I guess. They they had like a warehouse with all empty boxes. And um, they would bring people in like investors. And the store looked like it was packed to the ceiling with goods. And huh. it was all empty boxes. That's what I've heard. I don't know how true that is. I love the Home Depot. I mean, I'm I'm in there all the time. It's, it's great for certain things, yeah. you know? Yeah, you get but, in and out. You know, but no. yeah, no, if you're, yeah, if you're a professional, like we have a place near us, Yale Electric, you know, like you go yeah. there, that's where you get your lighting. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. If there's an electrician in Home Depot, yeah. definitely yeah. don't have him. Yeah. Do your I, I do my electrical work at a Home Depot. Well, and you're not an electrician. Buddy, that's right. And my buddy, Mike, whenever I buy, like I'll buy hi hats, you know, cause like I do the renovations on my own house. You know, I did the bathroom myself. He goes, Oh, what kind of hi hats are you putting in? He's like, Oh, I can get you these really good ones from the electrical supply. And they're like, whatever they are, like $90 a point. I'm like, dude, Sixteen dollars yeah. a point, Home Depot, yeah. baby. He's yeah. and he just he's like he can't even respond. He's just yeah. so he's like so bad. I'm on his side, <laughs> but you should know better, though. You know, I should know better. I've built. Been but in, so the know. problem is, it's so easy to just run in there. Oh, let me just grab the light. Like it's down the street. Yep. It's Home Depot. It's so easy. Exactly. So even like buying tools, it's like oh, it's so easy to just go grabbing another Milwaukee drill or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like. I don't know. You gotta if you're gonna be professional. Well, you're not an electrician. Well, that's so like, who cares? What I yeah. just if I was buying out. steel at the Home Depot, it would be <laughs> yeah. like they do. They do I, have some. I want to yeah. see you go into a, do a job, but you but while you're there, you got to use the heat gun to get the little uh, price tag off the angle iron. Yeah. Your yeah. Next mezzanine. Next time you're doing a mezzanine. But that's like when I went to buy the angle grinder. I need a variable speed angle grinder. Home Depot. Home Depot doesn't cover um, carry it. Neither does Lowe's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Lowe's so is kind of weird. The Lowe's near me It was like, yeah. Home Depot's got all the. I don't know what the deal is with Lowe's. It's always like cleaner and nicer, but the tools are like it's all like cobalt. Yeah, like well, Home Depot has has um they deal exclusively with Ryobi, Rigid, and Milwaukee. Yeah, so they kind of got all the the major and like tool. But brands. if you think about it, like if you took three, if you took those three tool brands out of Home Depot, they'd only have Makita and Dewalt. So for Lowe's yeah. to not have like three more tool brands, it seems like yeah. they have less. I don't know. The Lowe's by me has potentially the worst employees of any store on the planet. Well, the Home Depot near like, me is a disaster too. <laughs> it's like, did you guys graduate kindergarten? It's like so bad. Like every, the worst is, which pisses me off is the chain. When you go to get a piece of chain or cable, or <laughs> you rope, gotta put your own bolt cutters. <laughs> I, you know how many, like, and no one wants to help you. Cause the guy in the next aisle, oh, I'm not, I'm not the chain guy. He, he's over there. And yeah. like, I'm looking for I'm an the hour. Key guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I'll rate. And they radio somebody in and they don't show up. And then I'm just, you know, I'm, I just cut the thing myself, but then you can't put a price tag on it. It's like, and it's free. I think, I think that's the way that it works. That's why you always got to bring the Leatherman in case you got to cut your own wire from the wire department. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) uh, that's the worst. The chain and rope department at the Fairfield Home Depot needs some work. That's why the last time I bought chain, instead of trying to find somebody, I just spent three times as much, bought the whole damn roll. That's what I, you know, yeah. I did the same thing when I was buying cable. And then I look up and there's a whole spool of it. I'm like, you know what? I'm just taking the spool. Yep. That's the same thing with bolts, nuts and bolts. If you ever have to buy hardware from Home Depot, it's faster to just buy the whole box than it is yeah. to have them over there counting every nut. I'm oh, like that. Ten nuts and ten washers. Is this three eighths? Yeah. Oh, this one looks like it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough about our big box or talk. Let's talk a little bit about who we're watching and what we uh, what what we're being inspired by this week on on the Internet. Derek, what do you got? What? Who I'm watching? Yep. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll let you think about it, Paul. Well, there you, you go. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. The, the last couple of things I was watching, I think it was the channel. I think it's a big channel, like Made in Poland. Yeah. Oh, that's but a great any, channel. Uh, my shout out goes to any Eastern European YouTube channel because I've never seen anything like these guys before. It's unbelievable. You give these guys, you know, a microwave and a lawnmower, and all of a sudden they have a hydraulic press, a plasma cutter, a welder. You know, it's I don't even know where the, a bandsaw. It's like where did you guys even get this stuff from? It's like all they need uh, is a microwave and like a tractor, and they got a whole shop <laughs> three weeks later. It's unbelievable how they could make you know stuff out of literally garbage. Do you like ever watch crazy. Make It Extreme, Paul? Have you ever watched I've Make It I've heard of that. I've definitely seen some some. The guy, he's on Cyprus. He's on a freaking island off the coast of Greece. Oh, you told me about this. And he built his own lathe. He built, but the, yeah. it's not like he just builds normal tools. Like yeah. Made in Poland is a great channel. Um, and he makes like conventional stuff. The guy, Make It Extreme, he's got a, a huge channel. Um, but um, he made a uh, he made a magnetic drill press vice like an electromagnetic drill press oh my vice God. that wouldn't have to clamp plate he could just like throw it on it and it's the same thing it's like give the guy a microwave and, and like a toaster oven you know he's got a he's together. got a mig welder it's yeah. it's it's funny um i i was having some technical issues when you asked me that was the problem you were breaking up i couldn't hear you but made in poland that's a great one i've been watching him for a long time i actually think i told you guys about him a while back but if you want um something similar let's um let's learn something i believe it's a guy a kid it looks like in the philippines and um he goes to a pile he has like motorcycle like engine heads like and he literally takes it and takes an air compressor and takes the you know the cylinder off an air compressor it makes it into a gasoline engine Whoa, it's like God. how is this even possible That's crazy and sometimes like i watch it and i'm like is this staged like but it's if it is it's good good you know I don't want to say TV, it's good internet, but it's like, it's just amazing the stuff this kid makes, you People, know, he, it can, you know, you could always yeah. do something with whatever you yeah. have. It's just yeah, a matter I of how much that. effort you want to put in and how much time have you ever seen? This is another thing. This is going off on all separate thing, but the, I think it's in Bangladesh. Oh the boy. Ship, oh, Jesus. Oh yeah. Shipwreck yeah, ship yeah, is yeah, the oh, most unbelievable yeah. thing i've ever yeah, seen you in my think life. you got a tough job to oh watch my god you, i've you, posted that you on my instagram your job a is watch a couple 11 year olds drag oxycetylene <laughs> tanks yeah out into the <laughs> drag yeah. it out 10 miles into the mud and yeah. watch them throw oxyacetylene tanks into a ship and cut a ship apart you've never yeah. you know you haven't seen anything until you've seen 15 13 year olds some, some tankers <laughs> it's <laughs> unbelievable what, what the goes on in other countries it's like everyone like do you ever see the one where they rewind the motors the huge no. motors the electric no. motors oh my god you want to talk about poison and stuff like they're melting <laughs> that they're melting that like um oh the plastic asbestos and shit out of the windings yeah they rebuild these motors the the kids can walk inside the motors. They're pulling the copper out of it. They rewind it. And it's unbelievable how they do it. It's just, it's unbelievable hard work. I mean, you see all those videos. Everyone, the, Chinese, the Chinese industrial forging power hammers. Yeah. You got a power hammer that's literally 50 feet tall. It looks like a, a, a city bus. 
is coming yeah. down. Like that's yeah. how big the ram is. Four, four guys. This Chinese guy in with an umbrella with yeah. flops in yeah. a broom and he's brushing yeah. the scale. Yeah, he's brushing the scale off this <laughs> you know, three ton piece oh, of metal. He's like yeah. ten feet away. I'm like, how many of these Chinese guys do they go through a week? Because I, I don't know how these guys don't get killed. Meanwhile, me and you are complaining about how we can't get cold rolled steel in time. Uh, and we yeah, have to use I, all the mill scale. We have to work, grind our mill scale. I got to get a pair of work boots because my feet are sore. These guys are in flip-flops. Yeah. With <laughs> almost getting killed every day because they're trying to forge, you know, I don't really know what. There's a guy in the hut. He built, makes the aluminum pans. He's got molting aluminum. And he pours it, and he like molds the sand molds, and he's pouring it. It's going right between his feet with the flip flop. Yep. It's crazy. He's <laughs> a flip flop. Wow. I have that flip flop. I have that old uh, British motorcycle, that Royal Enfield. Oh yeah. And um, when I first got that bike, that that bike uh, was those bikes were made in England during World War II, and then eventually, when the English company decided to close the. Uh, they were also being manufactured in India. And, and from what I understand, the company in India asked the British parent company if they could continue to produce them. And now they're only built in India. When I first got it, I was like, you know, my friends all have Harleys and Hondas. So when I got it, they were all like, oh, well, we don't, we're not even going to be able to help you with this thing. So I started finding videos on YouTube. There are videos of guys in India rebuilding these motors in the dirt, not on a yeah, work. I've seen that. It's great. Yeah, on- and I thought, well, if these guys can literally rebuild the top end of this bike in, in a sand pit and yeah, I have like yeah. a class A facility and I can't do it, then I'm just an idiot. So I was like, this thing's because, you know, when you buy a, a British bike, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be like a Triumph or a BSA where once they break, they're done forever. I'm like, no, no, no. This guy just honed the cylinder head yep. with a basket full of rocks yeah. You know, I'm like, I got I this. That. So I saw that, that thing, I'm convinced this thing will just run forever. But I'll give my recommendation. You guys, you guys uh ran away from you were at Made in Poland. Oh, what was the yeah. other guy? Uh, made in Poland. Oh no, let's, no. Learn <laughs> let's learn something. I'm going in a completely different direction to a guy on Instagram called Gandhi Works, who I've been watching a lot of his videos. He makes these amazing drawing machines. Um, and he has all the right tools and he's definitely not using a microwave and a toaster oven to build himself tools, but he's, he does some really amazing stuff and he's absolutely worth checking out if you guys have never seen him. But now I'm going to have to go into a, let's learn something pit. Cause now I'm checking out his YouTube and this guy is unbelievable. Yeah. It's crazy. Let's, isn't it? Let's learn something. He, uh, he's homemade lathe machine. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Let's just build one. Let's just build it's one. It's amazing how good some people are. And it's also get, equally as ama- amazing how bad some yeah. people are making certain things. I'll, I'll give you one like, next oh week. Oh, my God. It's even better than that one next week. Well, that's for next week's episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that about does it for this episode, episode three of the Handmade Podcast. But thank you guys for coming back for episode three. Um, we are – getting ourselves established here on uh, Instagram as well at the handmade podcast. If you want to ask any questions or if there's something that you want to learn more about that we talk about in any of the episodes, send us a message. All three of us have the, the login for the handmade podcast Instagram. So somebody's bound to answer um, versus probably any of our regular inboxes where it's a little less reliable, but anyway, <laughs> what about all the questions people ask for? Tonight? Oh Yeah. We I guess we could 
That's oh. that's uh that we'll just do it next week. You'll yeah, just have to come week. back. We'll you want to learn what people want to know? You want to hear about Paul Pinto's uh experience on Fortune Fire? About my golfing experience? You want to hear about Paul Pinto golfing? You're gonna you have to hear come about back my dad almost getting killed golfing. <laughs> you want to hear about golfing? You want to hear you about, hear about coops? You want to hear about you the deep litter system for chicken coops? Come on, <laughs> you got to come back to the Handmade Podcast episode four. We'll be back next week. I'm Chris Epp from Make Everything. I'm Derek from Alden. And I'm Paul Pinto. And that's about it. See you guys later. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.